0: How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than rubies. Their appearance like lapis lazuli. But now they're blacker than soot. They're not recognized in the streets. The skin has shriveled on their bones. It's become as dry as a stick. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Remember, Remember, Lord, what what has has happened happened to us. us. Look and and see our disgrace. disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. Joy has gone from our hearts. Dancing has turned to mourning. You, you Lord, reign, reign forever. forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why, Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord. That we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless... Unless you've utterly rejected us. And are angry with us beyond measure. All right. (laughs) If this is your first week with us, then welcome. Um... My name is Josh. We are finishing our series in Lamentations, uh, looking at Lamentations 4 and 5. Do have it open. We're going to go in and out of different verses um, all the way through. And my prayer and my hope tonight is that God can speak to us through this book in a way that is significant for us today, but really more than that, in a way that's significant for us tomorrow as well. We don't want to just be a church that gets excited on a Sunday, but it doesn't change anything on a Monday. That's not uh, what we want to be about, or at least I hope that's not what we want to be about. And so today is called Finding God in the Darkness and talking about how the cross turns the tables. It's the third week of three, and so we're landing in on these final two issues. Um, two chapters of the book that we just had parts of uh, read for us. But um, I know some of you, I don't know all of you. Let me just take a moment for you to get to know me a little bit, a few things that you might not know. Let's um, sort of, I guess, guilty pleasures or confessions, okay? So bear with me. Take the embarrassing moments with me and it's going to be okay. So let's just talk a little bit about how I spend some of my time. So I would say a good four hours of my week is thinking, Tinkering with, praying about my fantasy football team. I don't know if you relate to that. (laughs) Film or TV preferences. I tell everybody one thing, but actually, if I'm being honest, it's all about rom-coms. And it turns out as well recently, it's all been about TV documentaries about sports that I've never been interested in before. I don't know if any of you found that, but Drive to Survive happened very quickly for me across the space of a few days. Uh, my drink choice, I'm actually quite proud of this one, but many people have judged me in the past for this. Favourite drink, buy a mile, pina colada. <laughs> career expectations, I'm just going to do two more, don't worry, this isn't the whole sermon. Uh, career expectations, I used to refer to my FIFA career as my other career, and I used to spend a fair amount of time working on that as well. It's been something a little bit less prevalent in recent years. And finally, family life. I have been known, my wife is going to listen to this sermon back, sadly. I have been known to pretend to be asleep in the middle of the night when my children come in so that I don't have to be the one to deal with them. (laughs) It's going to be okay. And some of these may seem as embarrassing options to tell you about, but they are the real truth. The real truth of maybe some of the ways that I am, some of the things that I like judgment or otherwise. And today we have a real opportunity to lean into a book of the Bible that gets very real very quick. Where there is judgment, where there is a need to look at ourselves and be really honest beyond my silly examples of things that are kind of in some ways slightly meaningless. And, and to ask the question, how am I doing? What does it look like for me to respond to God's word in a, in a real and deliberate way? Much deeper than me admitting some of my guilty pleasures, that's for sure. But When we got given Lamentations, now the way that it works here is that we get told these are the things we're going to preach on and then we'll talk about it. And I've been here nine years, I think it is now, and never before have I been given a passage and gone, are you serious? I really don't want to do that, to be honest. But thankfully, there is hope. Because as we've delved into it as a staff team, as we've begun to delve into it as a church, I've realised there is so much here that we can take Away so much, and, and so much, even just if you think about what it is all about, it's, it's a bunch of people who have turned away from God. But actually, if you think about the church and church history, at the heart of every move of God is people turning back to Him. So, even if we're just looking at a sort of mirror of the opposite of maybe of what we want it to look like for us, Lamentations isn't a bad place. To start, because we we hear reports um, about revival in our world, people turning to God. And we're wanting that here. If you joined us at our prayer meeting on Wednesday, we were being deliberate about saying, God, we want to see revival here. Uh, And I shared, I I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, I went to a youth group where actually it kind of all went. Boom, out of nowhere, I joined as a year nine and there was 30 of us. When we left, there was 130. And really there was these seeds of revival, of people turning back to God. It's always been about revival for me. And actually, I don't want anything less. And so as you hear this sermon today, as we look at God's word, but as we respond in our own hearts, my prayer is that revival is what we all want. What we all want to see people turning back to Jesus. It always starts with people on their knees. It always starts With repenting and so lamentations, maybe, can be a foundation to even mention words like revival. Before we get there, let me just set the scene of the series. Maybe this is your first week joining us for a lamentation sermon and the chapters that we are in. It's helpful as we unpack it to realize kind of why it was written, what's going on as we look at it. And we have had this building up of the suffering of God's people because they turn their backs on him. It's long, it's detailed. It's brutal, and so far we've had three chapters, chapters one to three, with an A to Z of suffering. It follows the Hebrew alphabet, it's like an acrostic poem, A to Z, and chapter four is similar to that. It's been ordered, deliberate, and my goodness, it's been thorough. But as we get to chapter five, it sort of breaks rank. The plea, the cry, the writer seems to lose himself like Eminem in a desperate last attempt to lament and wrestle, lose himself tomorrow, um, to wrestle with God. He's saying, please help me. Please restore us. Please don't forgetters i wonder if you've ever been in an argument with a a friend or a colleague or a family member or a partner or something like this and and you've been super angry about something but you've also been pretty ordered about all the reasons the small ones the big ones why they are in the wrong this is difficult why you are sad that's chapters one to four chapter five is the bit where you go so your face Write a Facebook post that's ill-advised, bring someone else in that shouldn't be brought in. It's the last desperate attempt to get them to listen, to see your way, or whatever it might be. Exhaustion has been overtaken and anger has come in. And that's where we get to in these chapters. It's, it's a volley of, God, where are you? And you feel the pain of the writer. And the structure and this book has helped God's people over the ages to engage in all suffering to think about it. And it can for us today as well, but we also want to be specific about what their suffering is all about too. And it's helpful to hold those two things in tension, that any suffering can be bought and these words of lament can be used, but there is a specific thing that's happening in this. Chapter four in, this, in the chapters we just had read to us. It's focusing on the suffering of the people. It's tragic consequences of a siege on Jerusalem. All the things that have happened as you look at it, it's all the things that have happened to God's people because they've basically been under siege by the Babylonians. And when we get to five, and we'll get there a bit more later, to this plea, it's, it's asking God for future mercy and for restoration. And the author, likely Jeremiah, is pleading. But before I jump into today's passage, just very briefly, let's address suffering in a few minutes. <laughs> Good luck. Right. Remember, this suffering is because, we ha- is because they have continually sinned against God. It's specific and it's stated that God is the cause of the suffering. But as we look at that today, we shouldn't make that the answer, reason or context to every suffering that we see today i tried to come up with my own summary to help us work this out but actually felix in the in the morning of this series in week one did a really good version of this and i kept trying to think how could i, I thought i'm just going to quote felix it'll be easier so here we go this is what he said week one that i found really helpful in understanding this but really also helpful in understanding um where the place of suffering fits in lamentations so he said this our temptation when we read about suffering in the bible is to draw a straight line from the suffering in the passage to our suffering The problem with doing that is that the reason for suffering might be very different. The Bible has different types of suffering. For God's people here in Lamentations, the suffering is because of sin. But in other parts of the Bible, people are suffering for other reasons, other people's sin, persecution, brokenness of the world. And In the case of Job, you have someone suffering and it's not even really clear why. So let's be careful to put this suffering in context today. We will see as we go through, whatever the reason... There is only one place to go to with suffering, only one place. So whatever our suffering might look like at the moment, there's actually only a one answer of where we go to with it anyway. But, and this passage, I think, can help us engage with any type of suffering. But what I have been struck by as we've gone through this series, listening and sitting um, alongside you guys as well, is, is that we don't need to be afraid to go to God with how we're really feeling. Some of the words that are said in these chapters of this book are brutal. And God seems to be able to take it. And so actually, sometimes I think we, we, we try and hide how we're really feeling from God, which is hugely ironic in the first place in that he knows everything and everything that we're thinking. And the other thing is my own sin of realizing the seriousness of sin and, and wanting to and needing to have a saviour to take that to. It's, it's been so clear over these last few weeks. And for both, we'll be able to unpack tonight that they're both emphatically answered at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the writer of Lamentations 4 and 5, he knows that the people here are sinful and they're in a tough space. He knows that there is a turning to God that needs to happen that hasn't happened. And in many ways, he is, he's there praying on behalf of a people that can't, probably could, but definitely won't pray for themselves. They've refused to, to see their own sin. So what I want us to do just for a minute, and do have your Bibles open because we're going to jump all over, especially chapter four and a little bit of chapter five. Just sit in for a moment. What were the disastrous consequences of their sin so that when we come to the solution, it's even more clear how much they and we need a savior. So turning away from God. This is what they've done with disastrous results. And uh, Jeremiah 19 The the, the author of Lamentations in his book talks, he says, hear the word of the Lord. This is context as well. I'm going to bring disaster on this place for they have forsaken me and made this place a place of foreign gods. Those bits highlighted there and 5 verse 7 of our passage today says our ancestors sinned and are no more but we bear their punishment so why is this happening to the people of God now well actually as I was reading a commentary on this I thought this was really helpful by Chris Wright so let me just read a short extract from that that I think helps us to realize why this is happening now it says and why it's happening to who it's happening to So yes, this is the quote. So yes, the present generation is indeed bearing the full weight of punishment for the sins of many generations, but not as innocent victims of someone else's sin. When the acts of God's judgment fell, it had to fall at some particular moment. That may seem from one point of view unfair, but seem from another perspective, most especially in view of the warning after warning from prophet after prophet. I read just one of them to you then, but that's not the only one. It is a remarkable testament to the patience and grace of God that the acts had not fallen long before. They had been warned. And the reality is the generation that experienced the result of turning from God was taking on generations of God's wrath. Generations of God's people who had rejected him, turned from him, ignored countless, countless moments for repentance and turning back. But as with all good stories, the worst bit is never the last bit. Stay with me, because hope is coming. But again, first let's sit in this moment, just for a while, and look through some of these verses and see, so dramatically read for us earlier. Four verse two, the people once worth their weight in gold. This this past tense of their perceived worth, sense of how far they've strayed from their covenantal blessing. Carrying on through chapter four, verse four and five, they're there begging for bread. They once ate delicacies. They're now destitute in the streets. They're hungry, they're begging for bread, missing the basic things that they need. And over the years, remember, this is the same God that provided manna for God's people in the desert. Those stories would have been passed on. And so how far they have fallen as a result of their sin. We read on verse 7 and 8, they're described as ruddy, as blacker than soot, unclean and ruddy. Blacker than soot, not even able to be washed. And we think about some of the customs they would have done for their own cleanliness. How far they have fallen. Verse 11, the Lord has given full vent to his wrath. And we read in verse 13 that it was because of the sins. Because of the sins they're, they're judged rightly as sinners by God that's what's happening in this passage now they grope through the streets verse 14 as if they're blind blind spiritually lost physically maybe it's a metaphor for their hearts either way it's tough going and the suffering here it's really really deep we carry on verse 15 and 16 they flee and wonder about the Lord himself has scattered them homeless wondering about without a promised covenantal home that's been lost it's gone it's taken away why because of their sin. there's a there's a huge fall that is happening here and look in your bible it's not going to be coming up on the screen but 17 to 21 talks about being helpless persecuted abandoned they're in real trouble and that's just chapter four there's three others that we didn't look at the last few weeks and then we get to chapter five let me just bring a few things out of that Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. That's five verse two. Without inheritance, they can't see that. They don't have that right now. You see, they kept the gifts, but they continued to reject the giver. Time and time again in that, they were wanting to keep the gifts of what it looked like to be God's people, but they were rejecting time and time again the giver. Verse six to eight of five, we submitted to Egypt and Assyria and slaves rule over us enslaved to foreign nations, it's not the first time. Egypt has happened before. As the writer writes here, there must be a pinch or even a severe thud of irony as he realizes where they've come from. But maybe also there's the beginnings of hope. God saved us before. Can he do it again? Joy 15, joy, joy, should I say, in 5 verse 15 is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. And it's not just some of the people suffering. We'll read in chapter 5, 11 to 14, describes four different groups of people. There's a sense to which no one is left behind in this deep suffering because of their sin. And there needs to be an honesty about sin. And we've been told in this series, it's worse than we think. And there's a reality that sin, it leads to death, it leads to separation from God. And it's easy, I think, today in this day and age to ignore the consequence of sin because actually we feel pretty sorted most of the time but this is where God's people found themselves at this stage they turned away from God and we should recognize that sin still still has the same consequences so the question is what's next where is the hope in something like this is there even hope and I think the writer begins to sort of delve into that try to answer that question or at least lament to God as he's turning to God in the midst of suffering. So where in today's verses do we find that? How does the writer do this for his plea, his heartfelt lament? Because remember, the worst part is never the last part. That's always true with God. Honest about his suffering and the emotions attached. If we go to verse one of chapter five, he says, remember, Lord, what happened to us. Verse 19, the Lord reign forever and ever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. We know who you are or we're trying to anyway because the verses that follow, it gets a bit messy. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? The writer's sitting in this tension of knowing that he believes that God is a good God and a God that will stick true to his promises, but sitting in this moment where everything feels so much more difficult. If you look in the Bible, verse 18, just before it talks about the place of God's presence, Mount Zion being desolate, jackals being all around and prowling. And it, it struck me that it takes God, I guess, to allow destruction in his own story, to allow a moment where it seems like everything has gone wrong, knowing that there's a bigger picture in mind because nothing can touch God's rule. That's what the writer here, that's what the prophet is saying. You, Lord, reign forever you're thrown jaws from generation to generation, truly believing those words, even in the midst of not feeling like they're seeing it. And you know, when we think about us, we, we, we might mess it up. In fact, we probably will. But it never affects God's side of the bargain. Restore us to yourself, it carries on. Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. It's giving God glory even though thoroughly confused. And remember, Lamentations, it gives us the words to be real, to really lament when something difficult is going on. There'll be stories in this room, so many, of real difficulty. God can handle it. God can handle it, and he can handle it because of the cross. See, God still loved, loves his people all the way through this. He does, because that's why the, the worst part of the story is never the last part. And we see hope even in chapter 4, verse 22. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile. The cross is coming. And we turn to God today. We turn to God in the person of Jesus, the whisper of the cross that we're beginning to see in this book. And what I want us to go away with knowing today, and I hope you do, is that however far you've turned from God or continue to, however much we are in suffering, the cross, it turns the tables on all of it. It gives a place for our sin to turn to Jesus in repentance and resurrected Jesus gives us a place to go in our suffering, our sorrow and confusion. The cross, it turns the tables Restore us to yourself, 5 verse 21, Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old. That's a heartfelt cry and a prayer we can make today. There's such a fullness, isn't there, to what we've just looked at? A fullness to the suffering and difficulty and the results of sin. There's such a fullness to it of what happens when you turn away from God. But let me tell you something before I show you. There is an even deeper, more full reply from jesus as he hung on the cross to turn the tables on sin you see if the cross turns the tables everything can change and i hear what you're saying josh if the cross turns the tables it would be helpful to have this in the form of a table no problem i've got a table so we look at these verses that we looked at in the past, we look at these verses down the left-hand side, these things that we said were where they were in suffering and sin. And so 4 verse 2, once they're perceived worth gone, but we know that in Jesus, today for us, that we are God's workmanship. That we're free from all condemning charges against us. That we are treasured by him. Hungry, begging for bread. Well, the Bible says that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. God will supply all of my needs. We can be totally satisfied in Jesus. When they were homeless, wandering about, scattered, we can find a home in Jesus. We can find life in all of its fullness now, John 10, 10 and life with God forever, John three 16. We're ministers of reconciliation, fellow workers with God. Not only are we given a home, but we are given a job to do. We're not wandering around aimlessly. We have a mission alongside Jesus because the cross, it turns the tables. They were enslaved to foreign nations. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's what happened on the cross. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, and if you're a Christian today, the Spirit of the Lord lives in you, there is freedom. We find the joy gone in chapter 5, verse 15. You turn my dancing to mourning. Well, the Bible says because of Jesus, we can know our mourning turning out to dancing again. We can choose to be content in all circumstances. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, in all of these things, when we look at suffering, in lamentations, these verses that are describing it, we can trust the cross. It turns the tables. It changes everything. So as you look at those things on the left and you look at those things on the right, the ones on the right are possible because Jesus hung on the cross for you and for me. And then we get to our sin. These verses that we looked at, the people were described as unclean, ruddy, blacker than soot. In Jesus, we're made righteous. Though our sins were red as scarlet, they are made as white as snow. Romans 8 tells us that we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The cross, it turns the tables on our sin. We're judged rightly as sinners. That's still the case. But now in Jesus, we are seen as saints. Ephesians 1.1. We're redeemed and forgiven of all of our sins. Colossians 1 verse 14. Blind, spiritually lost, physically lost. That's what God's people found themselves in, in Lamentations. They needed a saviour because Jesus, not only does he physically heal the eyes of the blind, but he will never leave us or forsake us. And we're rooted and planted in him. We're part of the true vine. They were helpless, persecuted, abandoned, full of fear. We can know in Jesus that we can be hope-filled, fought for and walked with. Jesus in me means, I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. They were without inheritance. We can say today, as followers of Jesus, because of the table-turning cross, that we are children of God, that we are Christ's friend, that we are bought with a price and we belong to God, and that we're assured that all things work together for the good of those he loves And there's too much here, I recognise, there's too much here to grab hold of all of it. But the cross on all of these things, it turns the tables. And so maybe one of them is something you need to hear today. My prayer and my hope is that that's true. Hold on to that just for a moment now as we sit here. Hold on to the one thing that you need to realise, the cross of Christ, it turns the tables on our approach to suffering and the emotions that come with it. It doesn't mean suffering's gone, but we can go to Jesus in it. And it absolutely does pay the price for our sins. So if you are sitting here knowing that you need to come back to Jesus and repentance in a big area or a small area, the cross, it turns the tables on those things. But to help us zoom in, in our response today, maybe one of those has jumped out, that's great. But it fits neatly, it does, into these two categories. See, Jesus, he he turns the tables on sin. So whatever we're going through in the big, in that context, we can bring that to Jesus. And he turns the tables on us being alone and separated in suffering. The cross, it gives us a place to go with both. And so our response today, all through this sermon, it's been about turning. And our choice today, our choice today is to turn to Jesus. Now, my prayer is that for some people, that might be for the first time. That would be amazing. We'd love to pray for you. But actually, my encouragement to you is this is not just a sermon for the first time turning to Jesus, but a commitment to turn to Jesus every day in everything. And actually, when we've talked about revival before, that stuff only happens if we're willing to turn to Jesus and say sorry for the little as well as the big, to be deliberate about every moment of every day, to be prayerful for people. All of this is turning to Jesus. And as those things we just looked at, the emotions, the suffering, the sorrow, is it all perfectly fixed now? No, that's one for eternity. But in the meantime, we have a perfect place to turn to in the midst of whatever we're going through. And in our sin, we don't have to run away or wallow or hide. There's a strange thing going on here where the person who is the punisher in God is also the person we run to because that punishment was taken by Jesus on the cross. You see, the cross has turned the tables on sin. We have a place to turn to in our sin and in our suffering, and it's Jesus and so often we don't live in light of the cross. I'm saying that because I know that's true for me. Even if you read the Bible, some of the most important people in the Bible, Peter, he denies Jesus pretty much immediately. He turns away from Jesus before he's even had the chance to turn to Jesus. And so eternity with God, when we follow Jesus, is fixed. But tomorrow is not. We have to make deliberate choices to live in light of the table-turning cross. I found... Revival is such an easy thing to pray about when I was a bit younger and maybe didn't have any responsibilities. But it's much more difficult to remember that it's still about that when there's so much going on in our world and in our lives and in our work. When there's so many moments in a week that we could be annoyed with our boss or annoyed with our co-workers or whatever else it might be, or annoyed with our family. I wonder what it would look like if in everything, in every moment of every day, we were deliberate about turning back to Jesus. In sin, in sin, God's people in Lamentations had again and again and again and again and again again turned away from God. And today, because of the cross, we can choose to again and again and again turn to Jesus. The table-turning cross, it makes it possible. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a verse that was really important to me growing up. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I'll heal their land and I'll forgive them. But it all started with this thing where they're asked to turn from what they're currently doing to turn to live in line with Jesus. Restore us to yourself, verse 21 says of chapter five. We have hope because we can pray that as our prayer today. It's not just what we turn from, but it's who we get to turn to Turn to a life lived for Jesus. I'm coming into land in a minute. and I watched a funny meme this week that when somebody says that as a preacher, everyone goes, they're so like, yes, he's nearly finished. So now I've got you. The result of people turning from sin, being real and authentic before God, in their mess, in their fears, in their sin, It changes things. It can change things for you today and it can change things for you as you leave here tomorrow as well. So today let's respond to God in two ways. Believing that this can be significant for us and significant for the church. Believing that this can be more than just a good message that is sort of helpful right now. This has nothing to do with me, by the way. This is is to do with Jesus. Let's believe that in turning to him, tomorrow can look really different those people that we've been praying for for a long time to know Jesus may begin to see that and have faith to see that happen. Let's respond in two ways. Let's respond in honesty with both of them because turning to Jesus means we have a place for our sin to go, number one. And number two, we have a person we can be real with in suffering and sorrow. And I say that for nearly all of us, there will be parts of both that we should respond to today. Maybe there's one that's more obvious than the other. But I would imagine as we ask Holy Spirit to convict us, that there will be things that we can say, Jesus, I want to turn to you more deliberately in that area. And I would say as well, as we think about number two, there's probably stuff there as well. And I'd encourage you, God also wants to know the small things that are going on as well as the really big ones. Because he wants, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we can walk and live in that freedom. On HDC Daily, our Daily prayer meeting on Zoom that happens here at HTC. Someone prayed thanking God for HTC and its relentless pursuit of the cross. May that be a prayer that we always pray. May that be true of this church. May that be true of me and of you as we go from here that we relentlessly pursue the cross and all that it means for us. Tim's gonna come and join me in leaders in communion in a moment. But I think communion really is in some ways the perfect response initially to this. Because what we're doing in this moment is we're remembering all that we've talked about in the cross, but not just the cross, but the resurrection of Jesus. And so as we respond, and as we reflect in communion, can I encourage you to use this as your personal moment to reflect on those two things, a place where our sins are go and a person we can be real with in suffering and sorrow and have that as your personal response now. I'll be asking Holy Spirit in you to be convicting and challenging and for you to be really real and honest about these things. Lamentations reminds us we can be honest about what's really going on. So as we, as we take communion together, let's do that. And after that, uh, Tim will give us an opportunity to respond in prayer. And my encouragement to you, if there's any sense of something being significant for you today, once you've taken communion, go back to your seat. We'll continue in some worship together. I'd encourage you to come forward for prayer. Maybe you want to say it's a bit of one and two. <laughs> maybe you want to be specific. Maybe you don't. That's Okay. I encourage you to mark this moment in saying I choose to believe that the table turning cross can change tomorrow let me pray for us um, as we take communion Holy Spirit give us hearts that want to turn to you today thank you that we have a place to go in our sin we'd be so lost without it Thank you that we can be real with you in suffering and sorrow. Help us to relentlessly pursue you, Jesus, with everything and in everything. Amen.